0: The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks Team Coverage Podcast, formerly known as Hoop Ball Hawks. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia. Still reeling off of a We just talked about it before we got on here. A great sports day yesterday. Your Atlanta Hawks won in overtime over my New Orleans Pelicans to move to six and three. And for people who are still kind of sleep on the New Orleans Pelicans, that was a team that the Hawks beat that is top 10 in both offensive and defensive numbers in the NBA to start the season. So it's a very good win. Your Hawks now sit at fourth in the Eastern Conference, and to talk a little bit about last night, but just about the Hawks start in general, we have a special guest, a friend of the program, Glenn Willis, reporting all the way from the West Coast. Glenn, how are you doing this evening? I'm
0: good. I appreciate you having me on. I I was looking at my notes, and I can't believe it was all the way back in April, the last time we did this. I was like, man, we we get to do this a little bit more frequently, because I always enjoy our conversations. Appreciate you having me.
1: And I'm not going to lie. I looked at it, too. I'm like, yeah, we need to do this a little bit more. (laughs) We both are pretty busy. I know with me finishing school, my time is a little bit more available. So we're going to try to make this more of a theme because I see you as the Hawks Oracle who sees all. And you pretty much are a, a straight shooter in my book. And I think more people in Hawks Nation needs to hear it to get the dose of reality to kind of Tailor expectations. I'm really good at that at work, and I want to do that here in this program. So, without further ado, I was looking at the numbers because I didn't want to really look at the Hawks numbers. Anybody can have a good nine, ten game stretch. Basketball is a game of runs, and so is an NBA season. You have ebbs and flows, but to start the year, the Hawks right now are seventh in points per game in the NBA. 22nd in opponents' points per game. They're right now 11th in offensive rating and 16th in defensive rating. And currently, to start the year, the Hawks are top 15 in the NBA in steals per game, blocks, turnovers, defensive rebounds, opponents' field goal percentage, opponents' three point attempts, and opponents' three point shooting percentage. I know that was a lot of numbers there. But just in general, the first nine games compared to your expectations coming into the season, what is your thoughts on this Hawks team so far? Yeah, so record wise,
0: I think this is right where you'd, you'd want. I think I think doing any better than six and three would um, um, would I, it may probably exceed expectations a little bit. Now that they're navigating away from that, you know, bit of a soft start schedule wise into this, you know, this uh, more challenging kind of stretch of the schedule. Um, but, you know, for me, uh, I've, um, I viewed their offenses being, um, you know, reliably going to be in top five. Um, and I, you know, and I know that some people will watch how they play kind of stylistically on offense and, and complain, um, as you and I talked about before, he's recording about nine of three point attempts, which, which is a valid conversation to have for sure. And some other aspects too. you know, Clint's finishing, um, was not where I wanted it last year and he had a rough start uh this year. Uh and so there's some aspects i said and the trade's efficiency being not where we expect it. But I I don't really worry so much about the offense. I think there are some things that they could uh do to get more uh consistency uh from their offense, but I still think, you know, statistically I think they're gonna land pretty high. For me, the whole kind of uh trajectory um factor was was a defense. You know, can they get can they push up to like League average uh, defensive rating and things like that, and and for me, you know, um, there's been some good defense in the first eight games before they got to this uh, ninth this ninth game, but mm-hmm. it was more kind of individual examples like De- Dejounte being super disruptive and creating turnovers, Aaron Holiday, you know, uh, having a you know a few flashes of kind of disruptiveness as well and things like that. But this this Pelicans game was the first time I saw them play. At a level, collectively, and in a connected way, in an organized way, in a way that they were had elevated not only kind of pockets of individual defense, but they they elevated their their uh, team execution and all the the different ways that you have to kind of function to really elevate that. So, you know, with this Hawks team, I think I think all of us were conditioned to to see them maybe do something like this per game and ask ourselves. Can I really trust them to do this all the time? You know, well, I mean, we just have to kind of see if they can um, make the commitment to kind of bring that uh, all the time. I, that Pelicans team is a good team, you know. Really, yes. I, I think one of the best teams in the West for me. And uh, and and you know, and the Pelicans kind of push push their way back like good teams do, you know, in the fourth quarter, um, and created some real momentum, you know, coming down the stretch, dug out of a thirteen point deficit, um, but the Hawks kind of stabilize themselves, which I don't think last year's Hawks team does. I think last year's Hawks team loses their confidence and doesn't find their footing. I think Detroit has a lot to do with that. So, so for me, I think they're still kind of working through some chemistry and integration aspects on offense, on defense. I think they showed us one game of the level of team defense that it's going to take from them to try to push for like something like hosting a first uh, round series in the Eastern Conference playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I I I'm with you there as far as how they played uh team defense yesterday and the connectivity and communication. We've seen it in spurts. Um I hadn't seen a, a full game of it until last night. I thought really the closest to that, in my opinion, and there were still some letdowns in this game, was probably the Milwaukee Bucks game. But ironically, the two games in my, you know, recent memory for the Hawks this year are two teams they played in the preseason, so they have some familiarity. So, I'm with you there because I talked about in my last episode, and I'm curious your thoughts here is that I think the Hawks are starting to find the formula for winning. And I think when you're playing inferior opponents, and we already know the direction of the team is going to go as far as trade being the energizer bunny and the engine of the offense, and then DeJounte Murray really being the energizer bunny on the defensive end and kind of letting both of their energy as far as on on different sides of the floor kind of become contagious to the rest of the team. And if they're both playing a high level, Murray on the defensive end and Trey on the offensive end, I think they can beat pretty much almost every team in the NBA. But then when you have inferior opponents, if you have Trey doing good on the offensive end, but Murray maybe taking a step back on the defensive end, you have enough talent on this team to skate by. But if you have good teams in – Or even bad teams. And I mean, and I'm not saying Toronto is a bad team. Toronto is a wild card, in my opinion, in the East because of the continuity. Obviously, Siakam getting hurt is a blow to that team and he will be out for a couple of weeks uh, due to report. But that was a game where I felt like both of them did not meet the energy levels required uh, that was going to lend to, to Hawks winning basketball. And that's when they got 30 balled up in Toronto. So I'm curious your thoughts as far as that formula as far as they both it's great if they're both on if they're both on I think they can beat pretty much anybody in the NBA but is 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 it is it more important for Trey to be the engine on the offense or is it more important for Murray to be the engine on the defense on a nightly basis
0: Yeah I mean I, so I I for me I think they need their offense to always be there for them to maximize their wins because I, I still think until I see a long stretch where their commitment to playing the defense that they need to play is there, I'm going to be dubious that, that that's something they're going to do. But the offense should should be there pretty much every game, right? That's something that this team should be able to kind of produce at a high level offensively, and that, that gives you the chance when sometimes the defense isn't there, isn't coming together. It, maybe even that's because – you know, you're in a grind week, you're playing four games in a week, or whatever the you know, the case may be, that offense should still be there. So I think the offense has to be there all, all the time, each each and every game. But I, I but I think that, the, that defensive execution, doing it enough, even if they're not showing what they did against the Pelicans, you know, every single game. If you watch a lot of NBA basketball, you'll know that even the best teams have, you know, in a regular season, eight, nine, ten games where they they just don't have the juice defensively. It's a, it's a grind, yeah, you know, and stuff. So, but I mean that but how consistently they can bring that, I think, will determine whether they're gonna win 44 or 45 games or something more like in the low fifties, you know. And so and then and that is really about commitment. You know, it's mm-hmm. about deciding you're gonna do it and about that commitment. So obviously to hit your best outcome on a season, you have to deliver on both. But for me, uh, for them to kind of have a, a baseline where they're going to have, a, will a, just say, a good, solid season, that offense has to reliably be there, start to finish, and I, and I think it will. Um, I think for, for Murray, what's interesting is that Nate um, tends to like really emphasize defensive fundamentals and all that. And, and DeJounte has a little Russ Westbrook in him on defense where he'll have an instinct like he has a chance to go get a still, go, go get a deflection or whatever. And kind of abandoned his primary kind of responsibility yeah. um, in the defensive half court and stuff, and and so you know how does how does Dejante kind of find that balance, and how does Nate support him in being as being the disruptor he can be without it uh, without it kind of getting excessive where they have four guys kind of playing to their primary responsibilities and one guys freelancing a little bit you know a little bit too much. So th- those are the things that I'm I'm kind of watching there. But I mean, thank goodness that. Um, you know, and that next game, thank goodness to DeJounte Murray was on this team. You know, DeJounte Murray pulled pulled them, pulled them all the way out of the ditch. You know, and then against the Pelicans, when the Pelicans kind of came back and got all the momentum, momentum, DeJounte made a few plays uh, towards the end of the game that kind of uh basically kept the Hawks from completely fumbling the game away at the very, very end and got them into overtime. So that that's been fascinating to me because Trey has always been the only guy that could really kind of deliver things like that. And now You've seen two, two games in the last several that where DeJounte has kind of kind of been that guy. and That has to be encouraging um, for, I think, Hawks fans to see that, you know, it doesn't have to be Trey, you know, especially coming off that Miami series last year in the playoffs where there was nobody who had anything to offer, you know, when Trey was getting completely schemed out of his, all of his normal stuff. To see already nine games in, a few games where DeJounte really was the difference has got to be encouraging, and I think it makes me feel like this team has a shot
1: to kind of push a little bit higher than maybe my original expectations were. And, and I'm with you there. I think, you know, there's a lot of people on a nightly basis and I know you see it too. Anytime Justin holiday misses a jumper, I see tweets immediately. We lost the Kevin Herter train. I am not going to do a knee jerk reaction for that, that he's on a new team. He's in a new scheme. He has to simulate and find his role. So I am not going, I'm not the person banging the drum saying we lost the Herter trade because they see Herter put up numbers on a team that's only won one or two games this year thus far. Um, and I'm not going to jump to a conclusion on DeJounte Murray, but early on, and you've I think you kind of alluded to this, are we getting our return on investment with DeJounte Murray um, early on? Yeah,
0: I mean so far so good. It's it's I mean part of it is how you contextualize that question, right? Mm-hmm. This was the first season, the first off-season where we saw teams to me kind of spend to the level that Minnesota did, you know, Atlanta did, um being the two uh, kind of examples there where you you weren't getting kind of you were giving up all your draft assets for guys that clearly aren't MVP level players, you know. And and so if you think well you know, if you're going to spend all of that draft capital, you have to get a, a, an all NBA level player. Then, you know, then you're, you're setting kind of setting yourself up for a little bit of, of you know, potential disappointment there. Um, so we have to all kind of recalibrate how I think because this is the new norm. I think this is the new norm in the NBA. Uh, it's so hard to go get established talent, uh, even if it's not a bona fide, you know, perennial all NBA uh, type of player. It's just so hard to go get it. The teams are. Willing to kind of, kind of gamble and take those risks, but for me, you know, he, he's de- he's delivered like everything I could expect so far. You know, I th- I know we'll talk a little bit about how Dejounte and Trey are integrating offensively. I think there's a ways to kind of, to kind of go around that. But it, and when I kind of ask myself the question: Is Dejounte doing Dejounte things, helping his team? Is are his contributions timely? Uh, are they clutch? know, if we can use that word, which is probably overused in sports, but, and I have to say the answer to all those questions is yes, you know? Um, and, uh, and there, there have been times already in this early season when Trey goes to the bench and the, and the team uh, for some stretches plays better, which is, yeah. the, which is a crazy thought considering considering how it's been since Trey's been here before DeJante came. So I, I think he's hitting all the marks So we could, obviously I think he would say even himself, he's turning the ball over too much, you know, um, and he is, you know, but hopefully um, as, you know, the, the, the teams kind of get a little bit more chemistry, like even like just I was when I was rewatching the Pelicans game, I was noticing how Clinton and Yucca were getting into action more quickly with him where the first, like, four or five, six games of the season, they were looking at him and, like, am I coming to set a ball screen for you or am I turning around and initiating wide action on the other side of the court or are we getting into something, you know? And there was, like, this, like, two- or three-second delay, which doesn't sound like a lot, but on a 24-second shot clock, it's a lot of time. Yes. Uh, and, and it gives the defense a chance to kind of load up to whatever it is you decide to eventually do. You know, so there, there's a lot more to come, I think, uh, in, in terms of kind of getting things to be – more, um, more integrated and, and such offensively. But I mean, he, he's doing the things that I think the Hawks need DeJounte to do for him to kind of have the impact that I think was so for
1: when they made the trade. And right now, DeJounte Murray is second in the NBA in steals per game at 2.4. He's only trailing OG and Anobi right now up in Toronto and. You mentioned the bench unit and how I I actually like the bench unit, especially defensively, the energy they bring, and I like when Murray does lead that unit. I'm curious to think. Well, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how the bench unit it has been performing under Murray uh, leading things and forecasting when Bulky comes back. I keep thinking I'm like. I'm, I'm really gonna. I think I'm gonna like Bogey next to Murray or Holiday, whoever is leading the second unit. If there's a stretch where Murray is off and then Trey's leading and just having Bogey back, I'm curious to think, get your thoughts on the bench unit performance early on and then how Bogey could fit in that bench unit when he comes back.
0: Yeah, I I think they're fine, you know. And I know Hawks fans wish Justin Holiday would make more three point shots and. I think he's like a career career thirty seven percent shooter. He was he didn't shoot it well last year, so you yeah, you know, I think he's what thirty four years old. So I think it's I mean fans are like, uh, is he hit his wall, like as a shooter, you know? I think that's a reasonable thing to contemplate, right? Is that gonna kinda come along? But from what I see with for example with Justin Holiday is that they're running like floppy action, which is going to generate shots for him on the generate shots for him on the move, and that's not what you want. You want him parked in the corner, catch and shoot spot up, and then if the, he gets a, a closeout defender, one dribble in, and he's you know shooting it from an established base and not on the move. So for me, too many of his shots are coming on the move. They're running yeah. atos for him. Better have him coming off pin downs, you know, lifting up towards the, the three point break, and that to me that's just not the shot that I, I want for him. So hopefully they can kind of get some things of that figured out. And also when I whenever I watch that, I think surely when Bogey's back, he's going to get that action right. Bogey can shoot on the move, and so maybe Justin is kind of acting as a bit of like a placeholder so they can continue running uh, and have some continuity around what they're running before Bogey's back and after he's back. But you know, for me when I look at that second unit. This is this is my like top level response. If the Hawks are playing from behind, that second unit they have right now is probably not going to get it done. Mm -hmm. That second unit is not going to help them kind of sustain an offensive, um, you know, output. That's going to let them dig back from 15 to 18 points in the third quarter, or whatever it is. You know, if they start a game strong and are kind of right in it, or have a lead, I think that second unit is perfectly viable for them. But they just right now, absent bogey, they just don't have enough shooting uh, on that unit, and so I, I don't know if the answer is when they're playing from behind. Less Justin, more AJ Griffin, you know, or something along those lines, you know, to kind of get get more shooting on the floor. And we've seen Nate. I mean, for all the harping Hawks fans do about Nate being stubborn, and I've called him stubborn myself, so I'm not, you know, uh, casting stones here. But he's already, you know, rolled AJ out there, of so Justin when they've been behind a couple times this year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I I think that unit you know, absent Bogey is problematic if they dig a big hole. I think if in all other situations, I think it's
1: totally viable. Yeah. And I'm with you as far as I don't think it's sustainable. I think that that we've seen some examples where they have actually done well and kept the momentum offensively, surprisingly. Um, But I really like what they do on a defensive end. I think that I think there is more of a buy-in on that side of the ball. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, especially with a player that I think is an unsung hero, um, even though he just got a bag recently. Um, I think he's an unsung hero. But I'm with you as far as holiday shooting and you mentioning A.J. Griffin. I kind of said that if AJ Gr- if if A.J. Griffin wants to get on the court, it's going to depend on the play of holiday and it's going to depend on AJ Griffin's buying on a defensive end i don't think he's bad defensively i think that the more reps he gets i think the better he'll get defensively cuz he's already he's a very smart player that is very apparent and he has a very polished game for a rookie but how how do you see AJ Griffin getting more minutes on the floor
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, he's he's ahead of where I I thought he would be right now. Um, I mean, we we've seen the shooting already, you know, he's he's gonna get his opportunities because he can shoot the basketball. What's going to get him maybe to have more consistent presence in the rotation for me is the defense and and when I kind of evaluate what I see there, team defense, good. Help defense, good. You know, a lot of those fundamentals and and it's not too surprising I guess that he's a kid of a well-established, um, you know, uh, assistant coach in the league. Where where he still has a long way to go is when he's defending on ball, at the point of attack, especially when he's in space by himself. He's he he's not uh, very viable in, in that scenario. And so if you you know if, if you're t- looking at eight to ten minutes a game, you know eleven, twelve, kind of max maybe. Um, if you need his shooting more, that might be fine. But as the season goes on, if he is, you know, getting more run, other teams are going to start seeking him out, hunting him and try to put him into situations where they can attack his you know, on ball point attack defense. And th- I, that may be something where we see some growth this this coming offseason at the end of the season and, and going to the next season. It'd be It's hard to imagine a lot of growth there. So so Nate, I think rightly has to kind of protect defense from. Uh, situation where A.J.'s getting caught, you know, all by himself, kind of on, on the ball, because I, I just think he's got quite a quiet ways to go there. Um, if he can show some marginal improvement, I think, I think that helps, but I think it's a little bit unrealistic to expect him to come along in that area. That's sort of where Jalen was uh, last year, I guess, although Jalen's team defense wasn't uh, anywhere near last year where A.J.'s is this year. Um, uh, Jalen has shown a lot of improvement. Uh, he showed a lot last year. I think his time at College Park, he made the absolute most of it. Um, but for AJ, it really is going to be, you know, uh, can they help him stay in situations where he's getting taking advantage of defending at the point of attack?
1: And you mentioned the the next player I was going to ask you about right before we hit a quick break here is Jalen Johnson. I mean, what is your? I mean, he had one of his better offensive games yesterday with 11 points uh, against the Pelicans. Um, I like the little I've seen from him. Um, it's clear he's worked on his outside shot. Um, he is athletic as all get out. He can h- rebound at a high level. Um, which is needed on his Hawks team. T rebounding is something I always focus on game in and game out with this team. But where do you see the biggest growth in Jalen Johnson um, from year one to year two? And where do you forecast him being down the stretch uh, as pretty much the, the backup for at this point um, in a season?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he's doing great so far, and I, I think the biggest thing is that Nate's playing him as the backup four every game, um, and I can't really point to a game where I was like, "Oh man, that was really a rough Jalen game." You know, when 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 they've had rough games, it's been kind of a, a team thing, and he, you know, he's showing a lot as a team defender, which at the beginning of last season was atrocious for him he just hadn't played enough high-level basketball yet that you know i think that's clear when you look back at how brief his play was at duke you know, and other levels and things like that and, and so i'm just so happy for him to to see what he's made of of what time he got at college park last year um i mean he, he was defending zion you know soundly you know in that game on um on uh i guess that was no, Friday night. That was yesterday. No, that's yesterday. Yes, Saturday night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, the schedule in my head is it's kind of crazy. I've been traveling a ton. I'm like, what day is it? Um, but just just to kind of see that, and you know what what I think, and the, the biggest thing for this year is that he's applying the tools he has. You know, you watched him last year, and to your point, you know, you said he's a he's a phenomenal athlete. He's an elite athlete, running, jumping. He's skilled. You know, um, and what's so. Uh, Um, I think pleasing about watching his game this year is that as a rebounder, he's using those athleticism skills in the open court. He's using those athleticism skills. And in addition to that, you know, the role that the Hawks need from him, you know, last year he was the focal point of the offense at College Park. This year, he has to learn to be in more of a supportive role offensively, but to pick his spots, you know, when to be able to put the ball on the floor, attack a defender, create something and things like that. And I'm just honestly fairly shocked nine games in that he's already showing some ability to kind of regulate when he needs to be aggressive versus when he needs to kind of stay in a more kind of supportive posture in uh, his time on the court. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super encouraged. Uh by what I've seen him from him so far, you know, he still has something a, a pretty good list of things to refine. But I mean, what he's given the Hawks is back at four, I think, has been uh above I, I think what anyone would expected. So that and that's one of the reasons they're six and three is that they're getting, you know, some fairly consistent good contribution from these uh guys that aren't starters and are in and a bit more of a supportive role I and mean, he's as high on the list
1: as anyone for me. Yeah, And I'm really I'm really excited for what I'm seeing from him as well. And I agree with you talking about him picking his spots. And there's a couple of other players that I think they have done a really good job of that as well. That I will talk to a little bit later here in the program. But first, this quick plug. Okay, listeners, it's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in several fantasy leagues, and every fantasy league that you are in, you have a rival. Pokemon, Ash Ketchum had Gary, and I know you have your Gary out there. So it's time to beat Gary and get the insight that you need to take your stuff to the next level and win a fantasy basketball championship. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, Terry Rozier, and Mikhail Bridges? Before any other rank list, I know which one, it's the Brewski's 150. And you probably turned those huge wins into some cash or a fantasy basketball championship. This year, the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time. And Ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week. Head to sportsethos.com. And click on the premium tab to grab membership information or the draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and go dominate your leagues, beat Gary with the help of Sports Ethos. All right, and we are back. We have Glenn Willis with us today to talk big picture, small picture, HD picture, whatever picture you're talking about. As far as with the Atlanta Hawks, and we just got done talking about the young guys, the young Duke boys um, on this Atlanta Hawks roster and the four positions specifically, I want to talk a little bit about John Collins because the Hawks are 6-3, and he's had some games we had crazy offensive of output. he's had some games with four blocks. Um, but I really think that he is the outside of another player that I'll ask about. I really think he's the unsung hero on his team right now, especially with and I think it's the improvement on the defensive end right now um, Capella and Collins are top 12 in the NBA in blocks per game. And I'm curious to see your thoughts on John Collins. I think we I don't think we utilize him enough or give him enough credit. And I think sometimes we do utilize him in the wrong spot. I like him getting the ball more on the post than just relegating him to catch and shoot. Um but I'm curious your thoughts on John Collins this year, especially on the defensive end.
0: Yeah, I I think that's been sort of I, I think that's where this the secret sauce kind of comes from the defensively. I, I think, you know, it's funny. I was looking at some um, numbers today just just trying to, you know, uh, kind of familiarize myself with where, you know, the Hawks' individual players are statistically, which I don't do that very often, but I feel like every while I have to do that. And I was like, I remember I, when I looked at Clint's numbers, I was like, two years ago, like, he was an absolute monster rebounder. I mean, he, like, led the league and... And rebounding led the league in rebound percentage. However, you wanted to kind of look at it, he just dominated as a rebounder, and 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 you've seen a few games kind of where that where that's there. And there's no doubt that the Hawks need as much from Clint as much rim protection, as much elite defense as they can get. But when they're getting that or something close to that from Clint, they still need that extra bit of defensive juice that help in interior on the interior weak side rim protection rebounding. Being a guy who's going to be physical with these now, you know, power wings that spend so much time at, at the four um, and things like that. And and that's, I think, I think right now to this point in time, as critical as Clint elevating his defensive play, keeping it up there, um, everything John adds is, is like, that's the, the, I don't know if we want to call it gravy or the icing on the cake or whatever, that's going to let them kind of elevate their performance just that much more. I was so uh, just, I guess, impressed with you know against the Pelicans. I I think I looked at the stats. He was like, man, has he even touched the ball? And like in the third quarter, I think he had two shot attempts. He missed them both, and he was still just flying around on defense, being physical, uh, you know, taking on all the kind of the defensive responsibility that that you'd need. Helping you know from the weak side, showing up at, at the rim, communicating. And and I you know and I contemplated for a second. I've always viewed John as a guy who is a like a committed team player, a good teammate. Having been around him, you know, a couple times in summer league and then other just hearing kind of hearing from him, you know, he brings so much positivity. But you know, I don't know that before before this season we ever saw him kind of show in a game where he's getting essentially no touches, where he's that invested on defense and as a rebounder and that's why i say to me that's kind of the secret sauce i think to the hawks if they can get clint and jc playing at the level of defense not just in terms of individual defense but the way they were connected to one another where they were working together the way they were you know collectively showing presence in the paint in the middle i mean that is is really kind of a big thing and and if yeah. And if John can be the kind of guy who's kind of like like you know when Clint came, I was like you know one of the beauties of Clint is that he doesn't care if he ever touches the ball in office. He's still going to play really really hard on defense. He doesn't care if he scores or not. You know he he doesn't care if you he has to come off the court the last six or seven eight minutes of the game if he, the coach needs to get more shooting on. He's such a great teammate. And I, and like I said, I, I've always viewed John positively in that way. But I don't know that we ever before this Pelicans game and all of these years he's been Atlanta ever saw. That extreme of an example where the dude's getting—they're not running anything for him on offense. I can't remember. I'm like middle of third quarter. I can't remember the last time he touched the ball, and he's still giving you all that defensive effort and all that defensive execution. If that's something they can get, then I, I, you know, I, I mean, this is this might sound sacrilegious, but what he was giving them I guess the Pelicans was like, you know, a little kind of mini Draymond. You know, no nothing offensively in the stats sheet. He's just kind of flying around. I'm not saying he was playing at a Draymond level. Draymond is a historically unique defensive player. But just in terms of a guy who is giving it all on defense, not being worried about the touches or the shot opportunities on offense, just kind of remind me of, of a little bit of kind of a parallel to what Draymond kind of brings to the Warriors teams when he's like, okay, yeah, staff, Clay, and the other guys are going to kind of bring out the offense. I just need to be a kind of a glue guy on offense and, and be opportunistic when I'm getting ignored uh you and I both know John is capable of way more than that on offense. Mm-hmm. But in a game where the game flow is not moving in his direction, he still gives that hugely important, and for me, it was hugely impressive, and I think he's been great this year.
1: I have a huge smile on my face right now just listening to that, because I think he deserves more flowers, especially what just the buy-in that I've been seeing from John Collins, and I saw it from the first game, and and it's been consistent with him, whether he gets the ball or not, and... It's just something that I just truly appreciate. So, John Collins, if you ever listen to this podcast in this episode, I hope you do. Um, I owe you a drink in the future off season that is not going to affect your body in, in worst play. I just want to throw that out there so I don't get in trouble. Uh, but I, I want to make sure that you get your just desserts and your flowers, because I just I just love what I'm seeing from you, the leadership. Um, and I've seen it from Capella as well, but I've also seen growth from DeAndre Hunter. And you talked about Jalen Johnson picking his spots. I've been seeing Hunter do that as well, catch and shoot, picking when to drive and get a little bit closer, get a jump shot, or get to the cup, Uh, rebounding at a a higher clip this year. And I think you've mentioned that on Twitter as well. Um, He got his bag, and he's not lacking. Uh, What are your thoughts on DeAndre Hunter earlier this season? Yeah, I think think DeAndre – for
0: me it's been good he's been good he's been he's been r- really good overall yeah i think I think fa- Hawks fans yeah, uh, 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 sports fans in general are, are a little bit weird like when a guy gets paid like they expect him to be a different player all of a sudden like they raise their expectation it's like still the same player even though he's on a different it's just in a different place in kind of the contract life cycle you know it's just that's a different thing so it kind of drives me crazy uh but but like fans Still want to see him like handle the ball better and i get it you know fans still want to see him be um not so deliberate and i think he's been a lot less deliberate i think he's been a lot more decisive you're still going to see moments where he's using his jab or two or three or four or 17 or whatever number it is to kind of fill out a defense but there's been more cases this season when he'll use like a single jab to actually move a defender where he wants that defender to be moved, and then he attacks that opening. And that's just not something we ever saw before this year. So to me, like when you kind of press into the nuance of what things he's showing that he really didn't show much at all before this year, and if he showed some, it was really inconsistent, so so much better. So I I think what he's giving them, you know, at times has been exactly what they need. You know, you mentioned it, um, attacking and going to the rim and, and getting free throws, you know, where he was so shy about that before. You know, and when I watch them, I'm like, OK, we all know DeAndre, like he hasn't sustained an injury yet this year, even if it's one that doesn't, you know, cause you to miss games. And so what I'm watching is like the first time he really gets fouled hard and maybe you know his hand or his wrist or whatever it is, you know, it's like, OK, that's what I want to see. Like, is DeAndre going to keep going in there? You know, because in the past I think we've seen him shy away, and and not, I mean, we never know for sure like how bad one of his injuries was, if it's something that you know you really need to protect or not, or if it's just an aversion to going back in and encountering that kind of contact, contact before. And so I I feel like you know he's showing a lot more good than bad. I think he's showing new tools. I think he's showing more decisiveness. I think he's being a lot more nuanced in the way he's using his skills. But I still think in some cases. What is giving them kind of comes and goes, uh, which is, uh, and I think part of that is DeJounte dominating the ball a lot, you know, uh, which which he needs to, you know, and, and, and having everything being kind of centered around the offensive backcourt, which is how it should be, and a little bit of a kind of a portion change for him offensively. But, I mean, you know, we're nine games in, and he's been really good. I think for, you know, I'll talk about John's defense kind of being the secret sauce. I think offensively, uh, DeAndre's kind of uh, reliable production kind of is a bit of a secret sauce on that end. In the sense that when Trey and DeJounte are getting everything thrown at them, DeAndre's got to be the guy who's giving them um, that tertiary production, that tertiary creation in the way he's capable of doing it. And that's where I think I've seen it kind of come and go. The, the thing that impressed me the most about him in the Pelicans game was, uh, I recall he had a he had a three-pointer, this, and this then a, in between the next position, he had one of his ugliest turnovers of the year. He just, uh it, like, Larry Nance just took the ball away from him while he was dribbling. <laughs> yeah. The other team's center yep. just ripped the ball away. And, we, and, and you and I both know, Larry Nance is... Freaking good defensive center, you know And he can get up uh, He can get up away from the the paint And be at the level of screen So maybe all all the Hawks fans don't know how good Larry Nance is He's really good But still, you'd expect your wing to be able to Kind of safely handle the ball In front of the other team center Whoever that person might be But the next possession DeAndre came back down and made a huge three and that's where I'm thinking back sort of like I, I, the parallel to JC in prior seasons, low, low, low touch game. Is he giving it all on defense? I don't know that we ever saw that in the way we did the Pelicans game. DeAndre, three-point shot, uh, ugly turnover, and then came back and made a huge shot possession after that. I don't think we saw that kind of resiliency very often, you know, before. Now, we're nine games in. That was one example. Um, but if he's able to – uh, deal with you know his game is is um has some flaws to it like any any player who's not a superstar he has some ball lim- handling limitations he has you know um you know some things that kind of come to the way along with kind of his methodical kind of approach and when that's the case you're going to encounter adversity but if you can kind of quickly in that, that case, immediately overcome the diversity and get back to helping your team. That's another kind of secret sauce ingredient, I think, for this team that's going to really matter. So hopefully he can keep doing that. I think he has a little room to kind of bring that more consistently. I don't think it's for lack of trying. I think he's kind of still feeling his way into what this role next to Trey and DeJounte looks like for him. I think he's been really, really good. I just think there's a little bit more room for him to really get his head around what it – Means for him to consistently provide what's needed, and 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 we'll see if he can get there. I think he's like eighty, eighty-five percent of the way there. That last ten to fifteen percent is always the hardest to kind of achieve, but I and, and but hopefully it's kind of right there in front of them, and hopefully he can he can kind of get there.
1: And I think he's close too. And I think it's a product of having an off season where you're healthy, where well, you can work yeah. on some of those things and get in work on your spots and ball handling and just work on your gen- in general confidence. So uh, he looks like a more confident NBA player and maybe it's because he got paid and that's one less thing to focus on. Uh, but certainly he seems like a much confident player and it's translated into his game early on. And as you said, with somewhat consistent, especially offensive production um, because a lot of people will forget, obviously when, you know, DeJounte went crazy in the garden, DeAndre Hunter had 21 points that night. he, yep. he 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 was, you know, kind of steadying the ship as well. um, And he's had a couple of games where someone else has a big offensive output. He's quietly doing his things, uh, taking advantage of the opportunities given to him. So I've liked what I've seen from DeAndre Hunter as well. And I think the the Hawks are certainly not a finished product. And certainly this next player isn't either, or uh, Kongu. But, again, another player who benefited from a healthy offseason and has – Jumped out and had a pretty solid start of the year as well, coming off the bench, um, cutting into Capella's minutes a little bit. Um, what have you liked from Okongu early on? Yeah, you know, more more
0: good stuff. His his activity, and energy are just so like uh, high level, you know. And um, I, I, you know, but the overriding, overwhelming thing I hear about Okongu from Hawks fans is. Trade Clint, a conglue, should be our guy. And it's like, I, I, you know, my plea is like, just stop. This team has been like bottom six, seven on defense for the last few years, right? Apart from that part of the season after uh, Nate became the head coach two years ago, where they got their level of play higher, they've still been consistently down there. Like, why, why would you want to erode your depth at center in any way, until, at least until. They've shown they can be like a league average defense, you know. What, like once they're they're there, then maybe we could talk about okay, yeah, a is going to get paid, and it doesn't make sense to spend, you know, you know, fifty five million dollars on the center position or whatever it's going to be, right? Or fifty million or whatever, whatever it's going to be, you know. Uh, so I, you know, I just like just stop. Like this team desperately needs forty eight minutes of really really high level play defensively at center, um, and. And if you're like, oh, John can play center. It's like everything John's given him as a four has got to be replaced if John becomes a guy who gives you all the other minutes the center. You know, it, it's like a shell game of, of sorts. But, you know, he's still, I think, fouling a little bit too much. Um, yeah, I think that's a thing that comes with, a, you know, he doesn't have as much size as maybe, you know, a lot of the other centers in the league. And But if you watch him play, like, he's learning all the little tricks of, like, how small centers kind of, you know, Get leverage and get position and things like that, and he's learning. I the one thing I one way I will kind of agree with Hawks fans is that I think the only way for him to get better at defending without fouling, the only way to get better at really mastering all those techniques that a little bit smaller centers have to have, he needs max reps. You know, he does need to play, and so I think when there's when there's any opportunity in a game, just say the Hawks are winning by I don't know, say twenty or twenty five in the third quarter, you know. I, I'm like Nate. You know, let's roll a Congu out here against the other team starters and let him get soak up those reps because he needs those. So, I you know I don't I wouldn't change really anything in terms of the, what their game plan is, what their blueprint is to kind of go try to chase wins. But when there are opportunities to swing more minutes his way, especially against other teams, you know, first unit, I think it's I think that's that's critical. So I mean, I'm still super excited about him, his touch, his ball handling. For his position his passing for his position uh are exceptional his ability to communicate and diagnose on defense is is great he just needs more repetitions and and i i don't think you have to you know get rid of clint to open up you know you know some more helpful time for him there
1: and i don't think getting rid of clint is the answer as well because i mean we're, as a team, we're not going to win the rebounding stat night in, night out. I, I just, I've just have accepted that. I do want a concerted effort to team rebound, which is why I've been excited from what I've seen from Hunter. Uh, Collins has been really aggressive on the glass as well. We know what Capella can do, O'Kongu, and so forth, and even Murray's in there trying to get his hands dirty and get some rebounds to push the break. So, I, I'm with you. O'Kongu does need more reps, uh, but. Not at the expense of Clint Capella, especially because Capella has been getting better and better uh, since, obviously, the the jammed finger or the injury he had um, late preseason against the Cavaliers. I think that he is getting better and better and seems like 180 from that time period, especially when you look at his monster night last night. Um, But you talk about defense and we've talked about it this whole episode. Do you see improvement this year as team difference as far as the Hawks? I know we talked about the consistency, and that still needs to be a focus. But defensively, are the Hawks better this year so far?
0: I mean, so it kind of goes back to some of my earlier comments, where I think we've seen a lot of examples of individual defensive play, where an individual defender is is really working hard, really having an impact, et cetera. I I'm like you, like that Bucks game was the first time I thought we saw sort of some you know something close to what this team needs to demonstrate uh, defensively. I still thought for you know two long stretches in that game, it was still kind of down to individual defensive to play um, this so in my mind they're not they're not there yet although they showed me exactly what we would need to see from them in that pelicans game um and again like we know this Hawks team and we know that they uh, have had a history of kind of taking their foot off the gas on defense for some crazy reason like as a bottom five six defense well, you know, what's that tendency and the ten- I know where the tendency comes from but it, it, as a coach I've seen it in, in my own teams obviously at you know more junior levels It's like when you're really really good offensive team like sometimes it's just natural for You know your defense to be established with like okay. How much defense do we need to win the game? Well, we're gonna play just enough defense uh to to win the game and ride on our offense and, and try to overwhelm the opponent offensively and you know if their goals are what we think they are and what they say they are that's not going to be good enough so you know i need to see two weeks of play where 80 percent of the time they're showing um what they showed against the pelicans and i know some people like, that should do it all the times like if you think they should any nba team to do that all the time, I, I'm, af- I'm afraid that you don't understand the grind that the NBA schedule is. You know, 100% is, is not a realistic thing. But show me that 80% type for two weeks, and then then I'll start talking as if, okay, we're seeing it. You know, One game is not enough for me to say they're there yet. I think they showed what they're capable of when they're invested, connected, working hard, working as a unit. They, they showed that. Can they be committed and dedicated to that? you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and, you know, the next eight games, I know we're going to talk a little bit about schedule, but they they need it, you know, these next eight games to, to get the number of wins they need to set set themselves up in this, you know, first, you know, 20% of the season or so to kind of be uh, where they want to be in the standings and not kind of dig it early hole.
1: Yeah. And I am, this next question I'm going to ask you is, Obviously, the question that everyone always talks about. I see people follow me with their names. This, as far as fired naming Millen, What is your thoughts on Namath Millen so far to start the year? I thought this was a really big year for him. As far as seeing if he is the right coach at the helm for this team, this is kind of his make or break year. Um, and I think he has a good staff put together. I like uh, Mike Long and Barty. I like Joe Prunty right now um it's still a work in progress obviously and especially the defense as you men- mentioned Nate Millen says it's a it's a it's a mindset and a process and you have to be bought in on that on that side of the floor and it's going to take time for them to really hone that in especially it's going to be needed in this next stretch but i get what Nate's preaching we know his flaws we know his limitations we know his stubbornness but we know the good too so to start the year how warm or cool is the seat that Nate sits on right now?
0: I think it's,
1: I think it's, um, you know, probably room
0: temperature right now. If I could, if I could say it that way, because they're six and three and they're, because they're showing s- some stuff. Um, I think, it I, I guess my answer around hot seat is I think it could get hot fast. If things, uh, kind of get off, off, off plan for them. Um, and I, and uh, you you teed this your question up perfectly. Big season for Nate, exactly right. Um, kind of a prove it year for Nate, exactly right. Uh, chance for the organization to see is Nate the right coach for this team for the next three to four years, exactly right. It, it's all uh, being evaluated right right now. This is the time to kind of kind of see. Uh, I thought you know some of their limitations last year. You mentioned some assistant coaches. I I thought losing Melvin Hunt was an absolutely massive impact to them. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I think I'll be surprised if he's not a head coach in you know two to three years um just because he's such a good game manager. He's so good at generating uh, kind of adjustments and things like that um, or, or either that or he'll be elevated to lead assistant on a really, really, really good staff, you know somewhere and things like that and they missed that. But like when they went to the matchup zone against the Knicks, I don't think we see that last season i think that's something that a guy like michael already kind of brings right and even some of the kind of more modest adjustments against pelicans um i think that's something that 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 he brings and so if nate is kind of moving in this year into a space where he's empowering his kind of assistants that have some specialization to them i think that's great like i you know as i said in the the twitter thread that got kind of a, a lot of attention You know, Nate is not for me a guy who's going to kind of solution a situation in X's and O's or in scheme. He's just he's not going to. He believes in playing uh, more fundamentally sound basketball, simplifying, calming down, focus on execution, do the basics. And and as I said on Twitter, like that's not my favorite kind of uh coaching uh implementation to watch i'd rather see like two tech two tacticians that are going head to head and back and forth adjustment adjustment to the adjustment counter you know that's the game i gotta watch but i don't want to penalize nate for the way that i like to watch basketball i think you know if you think about where the team was when they fired lp they needed a a pro uh, to come in and just calm everyone the heck down and he clearly he did that you know um, and then, even like in that next game, that big comeback, calm down, stay focused, calm down, stay focused, and I think that there's a lot of value in that. Is he the guy who's going to like help this group get all the way to being a real contender i don't I never want to say that's not possible or I never want to say nope he, that's he's not the guy, but I do think he has to, to in order to do that, he have to evolve. And be a lot more open-minded to have more a more creative staff overall and to lean on that creativity that's not in his and, I, and again, I always careful to say I'm not saying he doesn't have it. I'm just saying he doesn't or, he's not oriented that way. He wants to clean it up, simplify, calm down, focus on execution, and there's a lot of goodness there. Now, for me, if he can surround himself with guys on his staff that are uh, more oriented to real time adjustments, real time fixes, things like that, and empower them, then I think you've really got something there. And so he's capable of leading a staff that has the right mix, in my mind, uh, if he's willing to kind of empower uh, the 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 other coaches that are on his staff to do the things that they're capable of doing. Um, and you know, and maybe if having expected to see that last year was a little unrealistic, you know. Uh, he was on a brand new contract, and he was his first chance to kind of think about carrying over some of the coaching staff, adding to the coaching staff and things like that. He got a, some, you know, criticism for bringing his son in, which on the I don't know, you know, how good or not good Jamel is. But on the surface, you're going to get negative attention around, you know, something like that is going to kind of come with it. But, you know, so far, Longavarti has had a really, really positive impact on this. And from what I can tell watching, he's, uh, Langevarty is empowered to kind of do the defensive stuff that he is known for doing. And that's a great first step, you know, now on the other side is like, okay, when they get stuck, like they did against Miami last year, like who's going to help them solution out of that, that, that's still a TBD for me. And maybe that's not there on the staff yet. Um, We'll see. Um, But Maybe that's something Nick Van Exel can kinda kinda bring. You know, I think Nick did an awesome job with that club in Summer League and showed to me a lot of yes. like on yes. on the fly offensive adjustments and things like that. And really like took guys on that roster and helped them understand this is what you do. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna run stuff and call stuff that sets you up to do the things that you're good at. And so so maybe Nick needs needs to be elevated in some way, you know. So yeah, we'll see. I I don't wanna say you can't do it. I, I think with the right kind of mix of uh, Of Coaches on his staff it's possible Uh, But we'll see but Nick I mean Nate's not a bad coach Nate's not a dumb coach is he Fairly stubborn yes are most NBA coaches stubborn yes he's Pretty typical kind of in that Sense I just think he needs a certain Type of complimenting staff Around him to kind of really Maximize what the coaching staff collectively Brings to the team is it's is that There yet no are they taking Steps this season yes especially on Defense in my view
1: and and I um, and I loved all that you said because for me and I wasn't going to go to this podcast without talking about LSU um especially after <laughs> last night but um I do see parallelisms as far as how coach Ed Orgeron ran his staff and how he has his limitations has his stubbornness but put together a really good staff that could go out and recruit and empowered them and trusted them in their abilities to coach which was the perfect mm-hmm. storm to put together that 2019 national championship team. Uh, Once those people moved on to better jobs and he had some new guys he didn't trust as much and he tried to be more hands-on, that's when the team's production started slipping and he was biting off more than he could chew. And you saw the 500 years after the national title game, which, and obviously the other extracurricular activities, which led to Brian Kelly being in place. And now you have a coach who is, he can be stubborn and people called him that in Notre Dame, but he is a little bit more open minded. He put together good staff. He empowers his staff. And now you're seeing the turnaround with LSU this year uh, with a lot of people saying it's a fit. Hey, if you can win and empower the people around you who are working with the individuals day in and day out and they are responding in a positive way, you're going to get positive results. So that is something that I'm hoping to see with this Hawks team as well. Are we empowering our assistant coach? Maybe. And I'm glad you mentioned Nick Van Axel because he did great in the summer league, especially offensively when things got stale or someone had the hot hand. Um, He was great at making adjustments and creating sets to feed that hot hand and spots where they were going to maximize efficiency and get shots that they were going to hit, which is Obviously, they started off 0-2. That's why they finished strong in Summer League. So I'm with you there. It's still TBD, like you said. Um, I know a lot of people, every time we lose a game, it's going to be fire Damon Millen. Um, Nate's this, Nate that, but it's a long season. Um, Still, even though they had their trip overseas, you got to build continuity. You got to build trust. Um, It's going to take time with the staff and the new pieces there. And I'm curious if anything comes out as far as what Kyle Korver is doing influence wise with this organization, but just utilizing the resources at hand um, to get the most out of these players is what I'm hoping to see here forward. Cause it is a, it is a big season. I have two quick hitters before we go into the schedule. Um, are you concerned? Number one, are you concerned about three point shooting right now?
0: Uh, yeah, I think this roster doesn't have enough three point shooting on it. Um, uh, generally speaking, I, I, but I think it's fair to say. Let's see how true that is once Bogey's back, right? Because uh, Bogey yeah. will give them a ton, a ton there, um, and, and such. But I, I still think. But I think Hawks fans don't know like. Aaron Holliday is a really good three-point shooter, you know. Yes, yes. Um, JC's not doing what we know he could do as a three-point shooter yet. So, you know, they they miss Gallo. They miss Herter. Um, you know, and, and in some ways they miss Lou Will. You know, the guys they've kind of relied on to bring extra shooting to the rotation and things like that. But this team is trying to ramp themselves up defensively. And when you engineer your roster that way, you're going to sacrifice some things offensively. Uh, and so that's that's a trade off that I think is worth pursuing. So I'm not really being kind of critical there. I just know that when Trey is getting like all the attention that he typically does. You want shooters around him, right? Um, so you know, but that could come in the form of AJ getting a little bit more playable in a consistent way, coming along. Bogey getting back, JC getting back to making shots. JC made that huge shot against the Pelicans, right? Yes. Uh, in overtime, right? So, so there, there's some shooting juice that's there. I know Justin's a better shooter than he's showing. So you know, I, I don't want to be like, okay, the shooting we've seen these nine games is what we're going to get all season long. I, I think that's premature. I, I know there's more shooting juice there, but there's no doubt they really, really need Bogey. Um, but if they have an opportunity along the way to make, a, 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 say, a trade on the on the margin that brings some shooting in, that'll help them. Um, but it's not a crisis of, of any kind. I, I think they don't have enough, but if they deliver on what their intentions are defensively, uh, it, it'll probably be fine.
1: Um, and I'm and I'm with you there. It's not a huge red flag because. Even though we're not shooting as many threes as some other teams, uh, our percentages really aren't terrible from three. Uh, it's just when you see everybody—I mean, it's just—it's a, a three-and-D league now. When you when you're not seeing as many shots go in at the volume that you see other teams shooting, you think we're just not good. Um, and, I, and I'm with you. Bogey does help. He'll help with spacing. He'll help with. Um, I, I think it will give, like you said, the role that they are using Justin Holiday in now is, I think, bogey's role off the bench, and that it may relegate uh, Justin Holiday to more catch and shoot opportunities, which I think uh, career wise, statistically, he is. He's actually, I think, want to say 38% as a catch and shoot uh, shooter in his league, in his career. Um, so that's going to utilize his strength a little bit better, which may make him look a little bit better in that regard. Um, it's still to be determined. I'm not really worried. Uh, the other quick hitter I'm going to ask is, are you worried about Trey's efficiency right now shooting the ball?
0: I never worry about Trey offensively. I, I think you know, I think I it's kind of funny because you've watched him be empowered to use his natural talents, which are just like immeasurable, you know. But like I do I wonder sometimes, I'll say like there was a, a shot against the Pelicans where uh he got catch a catch-and-shoot opportunity, he was like a good two full steps behind the three point line. And there's nobody in his area and i think almost any other elite score in the league takes one dribble gets right up on the line and increases like makes that a better shot for whatever reason trey is more comfortable kind of just catching and kind of going from there so i for me it's like it's kind of fun i feel a little bit funny kind of judging trey's offense because he's so ridiculously good but there are other times that i'm like you know what the shot selection could be better you know what if he had a chance to dribble and get up closer and get snug on the three point line to take that shot. So, you know, I think there are some things he could do better, but I'm never worried about him generally on offense. He's one of the best, I don't know, four or five, six offensive players in the league, in my opinion. Um, and and I have no doubt his efficiency is going to come around. He's getting good shots. Um, I think the first like three games he gave Desante a lot of space to kind of run things, initiate things, and I think that speaks highly. Trey, you know, being willing to kind of take a little bit of risk on himself by taking him out of some rhythm or taking out of some some of the on ball stuff he normally gets. I think they're kind of figuring it out. But I think it's mostly I think mostly his, uh, you know, um, diminished efficiency so far has been about first three games or so. He was given DeJounte a lot of space to come in and be able to feel comfortable doing the things that DeJounte likes to do and needs to do.
1: Yeah. And I'm with you there. He can shoot. Sometimes all he needs is just one to go in. He just needs to see one go in. And um, yes, I'm. Sometimes I don't like the shot selection, especially if it's really early in the shot clock and obviously a long rebound. The other team gets it, which is the first pass on a new possession. Now the other team is off and running. And I know some people worry about turnovers with him and Murray. Um, If they limit turnovers, they usually win games. If not. You're going to give the other team fast break opportunities. And we know the Hawks are not great in transition defense. Um, so it's a little bit of give and take for sure. Um, he's your best player on your team. So you got to let him, you got to give him his shots. And even though he is shooting 38% from the floor and 30% from three, he's still averaging 28 points per game. That's the magic of Dre Young and still second or thir- third. he's started in the NBA in assists per game right now. Um, last quick hitter. Uh, It may not be so quick, but is Trey and DJ working right now?
0: Uh, I think they're fine. Um, You know, I've talked about this before in other um, kind of spaces, but the one thing they're not doing yet is creating that opportunity for the other to attack the weak side scene, which is, you know, the way I visualize this is going back to when Lowry and DeRozan were really clicking in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were attacking attacking that scene from the three-point break down to the rim. And when they, uh, on the, with the ball, obviously on the strong side, could collapse three, three-and-a-half defenders down in that space, rotate it, the other person attacked that same exact angle. And so that's not showing up yet at all. And I think that's the kind of the big um, kind of uh, threshold for them to hit is where they're creating opportunity for the other on the weak side. Um, we'll see. I think I think they'll get there. It, it was interesting. I put the play on Twitter but there was a, a play against the Pelicans where uh, DeJounte was, was bringing the ball up on the left side, Trey was kind of right center, and DeJounte was moving the ball to Trey. And, you know, Trey is used to catching the ball, middle of the floor, up high, stopping, getting him into something. Instead, DeJounte passed it ahead like a quarterback does, kind of leading a receiver in, in football, right? And it mm-hmm. led Trey right into the scene that existed on the weak side of Trey, attacked right into that scene. And got like a, a six foot runner out of it um, and, and scored it. And I was like, okay, that's the first one of those I've seen this year. It wasn't like exactly what I was thinking of because I think about the half court. That was more of early shot clock kind of attack. But they saw that the the defense sliding up the way they did. Saw Trey had a seam and led him right into that seam. So for me, like once you see them creating that weak side seam attack, if you a more recent example is last year when Harden landed in Philly. Um, he and Embiid were absolutely crushing the strong side, rotating it to the weak side. And a lot of times it was Embiid attacking that weak side seam, which is it's crazy as a big man how good he is at that. But that's that's where they have to get to really kind of maximize what they have is attacking those seam, rotate to the other guys on the weak side, uh, having, having completely collapsed the strong side of the uh, opposing defense, attacking the heck out of that weak side. So like I said, I think there's been one, example of this year and it was in their last game and it wasn't really in the half court so that's what I'm looking for but but they're they're doing fine uh you know the other I think the second thing I'm looking for is DeJounte is ferocious when Trey is off how do we get more of that when he's on with Trey and I think that he and Trey are maturely giving the other other space and and like DeJonte's not like hey Trey you gotta let me do my thing like and you know, the heck with you. And Trey's not like it, DeJounte, you gotta let me do my thing. I, I need to if I'm having if I'm going miss mean, my first two or three shots, I need to come on ball and like run everything out, you know. So I think they I, I I see it as a mature approach, but there I in my mind there does need to be you know, some a little bit of urgency in like, okay, where are we really going with this? And how are we really trying to kind of integrate our capabilities here? Awesome that they've given each other space. DeJounte looks comfortable he looks like he, he fits, and he looks like he he feels good about the team around him, and he looks good. He looks like he feels good about the opportunities he's getting, but to really kind of be have that multiplier kind of effect with those two, those are the things I'm looking for. Can this job maybe for Rose with Trey on? Can they create those weak side seam attacks? That's what I'm looking for.
1: Yeah, and I'm and I'm looking for those as well. And I think yeah, there there needs to be a yin and yang, and I kind of alluded to that before as far as when Trey is on offensively uh and i know that everybody's kind of caught up watching trey uh deshante just just be a dog defensively and create your opportunities through your turnovers through steals uh jumping and passing lanes and whether it's creating offense for yourself or others to kind of get you going and i think that is the formula that i see working for the hawks to get consistent wins but but also creating opportunities for the other elite guard that you're playing alongside, and it's going to be a work in progress. More reps, more time, and uh, it's going to. Be, and I think there's some growing pains potentially because when you look at the next eight games, you have the Bucks tomorrow night at home. You already know that you played a tough game and questionable calls down the stretch that the NBA said they got right um, up in Milwaukee, uh, but you have a chance to get your get back against the Bucks. You have a Utah team coming into town Wednesday who's playing well for a team that should be in the Wimby sweepstakes right now. You have the 76ers on Thursday, so you have a back-to-back there. You know 76ers will not have James Harden. They're going to call more for Tyrese Maxey to step up, more Tobias Harris, and obviously Embiid is Embiid. And then you have to see him again on Saturday in a let's say a, a game two came game three type scenario. um, If we're looking for a head to the playoffs, do you take on the bucks again on the road after that Celtics at home, Raptors at home, Cleveland on the road. And then you finally get a NBA cupcake, which is still, they're still professionals. They get a check. So you're going to play hard, but that NBA cupcake has Kevin Herter red velvet coming home, to Atlanta, so emotions are going to be high that game. So these next eight to nine games, and I looked at the schedule when when it was released and said, wow, November is going to be tough for the Hawks. They've kind of got out of the honeymoon phase, and I think that the honeymoon phase really ended when they lost that game to Charlotte, and then they had to deal with the reality of, okay, we have to, I mean, we have to work at this. We have to work at this. We have to build at this. And then you had the you know the road trip where you had the two games against Detroit where you found some things that work tough loss against Milwaukee just didn't have the energy against Toronto then you had to come back winning against the Knicks and then last night a herculean effort uh, to hold off a really good New Orleans team to win in overtime um, now you're 6-3 now you're fourth in the east <laughs> 3 games back from the from the one seed and n- now you're about to see the one seed tomorrow what do you forecast for this this next 8 games and what do the Hawks need to do to best the Bucks on Monday night?
0: Yeah, so I mean, um I mean, for me I look at these 8 games and I'm like, you know, as a team I want to like ask you, are you are you really in the mix of the Eastern Conference or not? You know, if if like your fans are looking at you like, "Oh man, I hope they can go 4 and 4 in these 8 games," which wouldn't be a a bad outcome. You know, no.
1: Uh, who, but, I wouldn't complain about that.
0: Right. But like if you if if you if this team really wants observers to think this team is really in the mix to get a three or four seed or something along those lines, then this team should be looking at themselves and be like, what does it take to go five and three? What would it take to like go six and two uh, in this stretch? And, you know, how do we kind of do that? And that's about playing together. That's about being committed. That's about bringing the effort and intensity on defense uh, reliably, um, and then on offense, it's about taking care of the ball and and sharing the ball, um, and and really kind of uh, you know having a collective cerebral approach on that in, as well. And so I think it's a it's a critical thing. You know the the it's it's funny that. The Hawks have played the Bucks pretty well the last few seasons, right? Yes. Um. I mean, I, I don't. I still think that year the Bucks won the title. Like, I don't think people realize how competitive that series was until Trey got hurt. You know, and I, I know Giannis, you know, was dealing with injury there too and stuff like that. But I, I still feel like people kind of don't really understand um, there. And and the Bucks lost something important when they lost PJ Tucker. They they're back to. Uh, basically, uh, so, uh, apart from when they're playing Giannis at center, drop coverage, Trey murders drop coverage. You know, uh, all, a lot of a lot of the uh, kind of the um, the core part of what the Hawks want to do offensively with Trey, even with Dejounte's presence, is is going to kind of murder uh, drop coverage. And we saw in that that first game they played, you know, uh, in Milwaukee, that the Hawks look comfortable in offense basically that whole game. You know, and, I mean, it, it's it's so weird to think that how can the contrast how uncomfortable they looked against Toronto that whole game, you know? Uh, so I think, I think this is a good matchup, but I mean, I think Milwaukee right now is playing better than anybody in the league. Um And I think Giannis has hit another level. If that even seems like possible, I think he has hit another level. I think he understands more than ever now, like how he can really just overwhelm an opponent And he's going to that. And so I think it's going to be a huge challenge, but I also think the Hawks are kind of a a decent matchup there. You know, all those other teams that they're going to play, you know, you know, they should be, I mean, for me, it's like games, competitive games often come down, comes down to shot making, right? If you're bringing the energy, effort, all that sort of stuff. And so in my mind, all games, they should be every game. Every game should be competitive. They should have a chance to win every single game. I think five and three is a absolutely uh you know f- good outcome there. Four and four is a fine outcome there. But again, like if, if I really wanna if I if I could like get that you know the guys on this team to be honest and be like, hey, what are your expectations for this game stretch? What would they say seven and one, six and two? We want to go win every game. We're capable of winning every one of these games. We're gonna go you know put up a fight in every single one of these games and try to get five or six wins uh or do they have a different mindset and i and i you know that's that's i can't wait to watch these games cuz i mm-hmm. i really do want to see kind of where this team is from a mentality standpoint um and 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 see if like okay they're there or nope, they still got some work to do to get to the point where they have their head in a place where like they understand how consistently they need to bring that effort on defense, all the things that come with it, too. So I'm excited, but I think there's a lot to learn about the team in the games, so and I think that's fun. Mm, uh,
1: it, I mean, the Hawks seem to play their best when they play the best. And outside of Toronto, they've done that this year. And when I'm looking at these games, the Bucs is very important. I'm, I'm not sure if we have three or four games against the Bucks this year, but – I, you're playing them at home. I expect you to go get that one and find a way to win that one. Um, the Sixers, the same way. Uh, you know what's tough is play, play up in Philly. They'll see them on Saturday in Philly. But that Thursday game, even though it's the second game of a back-to-back, if you can take care of business against Utah, rest some of your starters. If you get out to an uh, insurmountable lead uh, in the fourth quarter and rest your starters for that game against the Sixers, without James Harden, you have to win that one, in my opinion. Um, That Bucks game on the road. Hey, that's the last time you're going to see them all year into play a potential playoff matchup. Um, So you'll you'll do what you can there. You want to get that one at home against the Celtics. Uh, You usually play well against the Celtics at home. You don't really play well in the garden. So you have to get that one. Toronto and Cleveland are the two, and those are the two series all year long because I think we're going to be real close to them in the standings. Those are series you have to win. You already dropped one in Toronto. You have to beat them at home on the 19th of November. And Cleveland, Cleveland's off to a hot start. Donovan Mitchell's an MVP conversation. They're already crowning that backcourt as the best backcourt in the East. Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, just get, your, hey, fan, Hawks fans, just get your popcorn ready. I can't wait for that one on the road. I can't wait for that one, especially how tightly contested that uh, preseason game was between them. You can imagine how that game is going to be, too. And obviously, Sacramento, you have to win. So I'm with you there. There are more games. where we see at now with what we know about the league, there are more winnable games than not in this stretch, even though it, it does look tough on paper. Uh, the Celtics look winnable. Sixers are winnable, in my opinion. You can beat the Bucks at home. Uh, you can beat Toronto at home. Can you? Can you? Can you beat Cleveland on the road? Uh, can Can you not be surprised by Utah? Those are you know. Those are the narratives that you know. First take we'll talk about game in and game out. And I'm not first taking my Stephen A. Smith, but I'm with you there. I'm just excited to see this team go out and play. Um, I feel like I was you know cross eyed yesterday watching LSU and uh, the Hawks play, but it but but that was fun last night. That was fun. That was Hawks basketball. That was what you pay to go see. You get you get to see Zion Williamson do his thing. You get to see Bi and CJ coming to State Farm Arena to try to steal a win on the road on the second out of a back to back, and the Hawks just put their foot down in overtime by getting stops, actually, which is surprising to say. Um, and now you're sitting at six and three. I'm with you, Glenn. I'm excited for this for these next eight to nine games to see. Truly what this team is really made out of. Um, And as always, it's just it's just fun to talk Hawks with you. We need to do this more often. And I am going to make a commitment to make that happen uh, because you just do such good work and have great, great analysis. Uh, So tell our listeners and the ones who are not familiar with the great Glenn. I hope you got real acquainted today, but tell them how they can connect with you and anything that you got going on here on out.
0: Yeah, so appreciate all the kind words. I, I always always enjoy chopping it up with you, uh, Brad. So look forward to the next opportunity for sure. Uh, on Twitter uh, at Willis underscore Glenn, um, Glenn with one N. Um, you can find me find me there. Not too hard uh, to find me. Putting out a lot of Hawks content there. Uh, I still contribute to Peace Tree Hoops uh, now and now and then. Um, technical kind of content breakdowns there, um, and I'm regularly on at. Uh you can search for the podcast I do with Kevin Shenard, uh 8 29. You can find it by that name. If you can't for some reason by that name, Peace Tree Hoops Podcasts, uh, it shows up uh, to usually with both of those names. So it's ATL29A Peace Three Hoops Podcast. So look for that there, Kevin. And I usually get two, maybe three episodes out uh, a week over there. So um and then I'll I'll show up on Lock on Hawks now and then too, with you know the 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 other the other great Brad that we have in this Hawksphere over there doing the the work he does so you can find me there but you can get to everything uh that i'm putting out uh through in my, on my twitter feed so uh if you don't follow me now and you have interest um, feel free to find me over there and give me a follow i love interacting with people i i, I try to uh, respond to basically everything that i get as long as it's uh not some uh totally crazy you know take i uh pick up this conversation and it kind of goes so um, I like uh, having conversations uh, there as well, even if if, if I'm in like vehement de- disagreement with a take or whatever, like I love the back and forth. So find, find me over there.
1: I appreciate the your kind words from me. Another great Brad. I mean, I'm not going to let that go to my head. I have a lot of work to do uh, myself. <laughs> uh, but guys, please support Glenn. Um, it, it, just like if you have questions with me, you can you can shoot them at him as well. Um, I know I had a back and forth with a guy who tried to tell me that, um, he tried to dispute that I said AJ Griffin is the best shooter on this Hawks team right now, and I think it's true. Um, he said no, I think Trey Young is, and I just I, I I had to stop. I had to stop. So I I mean, teach me your ways, Glenn, because I, I think I did. I'm glad I stopped that conversation because I was going down a rabbit hole of someone that this not everyone has it like me and you. I'm just going to be real. Not everyone has it like me and you. Um, <laughs> but support his content. Follow him on Twitter. You guys heard the man. Give him his flowers, too. He's one of the best out there in the Hawks' sphere. And if you love what you heard here at the Sports Ethos Hawks, uh, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it and tell everybody about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks share with fellow hawks fans nba fans basketball fans georgia sports fans lsu fans who just love me um put them onto this podcast follow us on twitter at ethos hawks that's at ethos hawks on twitter and follow myself on twitter at brad jared67 that is brad j-a-r-r-e-t-t-6-7 big matchup versus the bucks tomorrow night i will be cranking out an, an right after that game so i will catch you guys next time support glenn as always i hope you guys have a wonderful monday and let's go hawks
0: you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel